You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Linda Emanuel. Dr. Emanuel is the Bueller Professor of Geriatric Medicine at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University. She's the director of the Bueller Center of Aging, Health, and Society and of the Interdisciplinary Program in Professionalism and Human Rights. Thank you, Dr. Emanuel, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be discussing economic devastation as a second silent blow to families that accompanies terminal illness. And does the medical profession have an obligation to provide economic resilience options? Dr. Emanuel, would you define or characterize this devastation for us? We know in the United States, and we've known for some time, for over a decade, that there is a huge economic blow that comes to households when a member of that household is seriously ill and dies. And the data that we have had for for over a decade says that full 40% of American households fall below the poverty line around the time of that serious illness and or death. And that is a technical definition of falling below the poverty line. So that's a pretty significant number of people. Obviously, we don't have 40% of our, po- our population below the poverty line at all times. So at some point, our households do recover. But there's very little known about who recovers, when do they recover, how do they recover. All we know at this point is that there is a significant economic blow in the U.S. It's not a country where we are overall poor, and so it's really quite remarkable that we have such a huge economic impact on our households nationwide. You mentioned the United States, but isn't this also a global problem as well? It seems that it's probably far greater in resource-constrained countries than it is in our country. There's much less data But there is very strong data, both for the U.S. and for other countries, especially poor countries, indicating that there's a strong correlation between poverty and illness, and perhaps conversely between illness and poverty. The causal connections seem to, the arrows seem to go in both directions, at least logic would prevail, saying that it goes in both directions. So, in fact, in economically constrained countries, there's reasonably strong evidence for what we would call an illness poverty trap. That is a situation in which a household has an ill member or more and suffers economic damage as a result of having an ill family member. Then they reach a level of poverty whereby they are not able to sustain themselves and prepare the next generation for economic productivity in their adulthood, the whole household is at risk for going into a multi-generational poverty trap, which in turn is correlated with poor health care and poor circumstances of living, which generate poor health. So it seems that there's probably an illness poverty trap in poorer countries. And there may be an illness poverty trap for some in America as well, but there is not data on that as yet. Who are these patients and families? Were they in debt before this began, and this spirals downward when they're ill? Part of what I'm hoping will happen is that there will be a greater awareness of this problem so that research will be done, funded and done, so that we can answer these questions. We don't know. 
it's really quite remarkable that we can have such a major economic impact on our own households and even larger than that on households in other countries and know that it's correlated with illness and yet the medical profession hasn't studied that question. We don't know who recovers. We don't know who goes down under and we don't know how to predict who's at risk for going down under. We don't know how to provide them with what I like to call economic resilience options so that they can avoid going down under. And this is something that I think the profession needs to have a much greater focus on. When does it happen, though? Is there something that precedes this spiral downwards? Well, we've also known for even longer than decades since the studies by Lubitz and his colleagues that the medical costs and the medical spending by households go up dramatically in the last six months of life. Indeed, a majority of medical spending on individuals happens in the last months of life. So it seems that that's about the prelude, the interval. For families who take care of individuals who are chronically ill and have high uh, medical needs, the situation may be very different. But again, there's not very much data on what happens to the household. We have quite a lot of data on medical costs, but those are done in studies that look at reimbursable costs, billable costs, and costs to the medical institution. And data on what happens at the household level is very much more limited. Do we have any data on what happens to the caregiver? Because everything seems to hinge on that particular caregiver to keep the framework of the family going. Yes, we have some. Again, we need much more data. The, the caregiver carries a great deal of the burden the caregiver, and by caregiver we should be clear, I mean the family caregiver, the person who's at home caring for the patient. And it's the caregiver who has to handle the medical bills, and it's the caregiver who data is pretty clear uh, is at risk for depression, uh, is at risk for earlier death, is at risk for other medical complications. And in many cases we should probably be looking at the family caregiver as the next cohort of patients, if you will, and so our, our medical profession really should be looking at the family, not just as a unit of care that's necessary for quality care for the patient who's immediately ill in front of us, but as the population that we should be looking at in order to provide preventative medicine, preventive interventions so that they don't become sick themselves. I have seen the number $20 billion being the unknown cost of caregivers that isn't really figured in in the real equation of medical care. How would you respond to that number? Well, I think it's the correct number. It's an estimate. It's very hard to get data on exactly what caregivers are spending. There are different numbers that estimate what caregivers spend out of pocket for providing additional medical care costs to their family members. They pay out of pocket for part of the cost of the medicines. They pay out of pocket for some medical equipment, wheelchairs and so on. They pay out of pocket for all kinds of home modifications that never get figured into these calculations. But then also that $20 billion figure is an estimate of what the, the caregiver contributes overall. So that's a calculation of opportunity lost, what they essentially failing to earn in the marketplace by not being able to work with if they're at home caring for the patient or they have less time in the workplace and more time at home caring for the patient. And it's um, calculated on the basis of what one would have to pay someone to provide the amount of work that the caregiver is giving to that patient. So it's an overall 
uh, estimate of what the caregiver is pro- providing in the care of patients nationwide. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Linda Emanuel, and we're discussing the economic devastation as the second silent blow to families that accompanies terminal illness. Can you give us any idea of who recovers from this economic devastation? I wish I could. Again, it's really just a black hole, and it's just such an important area that we should have a better understanding of. We have a little preliminary data that we have been able to to glean from some large databases that do have some information on household income. And it seems that the elderly have households that recover relatively well compared perhaps with other portions of the population, although we don't have data on other populations directly. It seems that the elderly probably have either more assets accumulated over the course of their lifetime because they've been expecting to have medical bills as they get older, or perhaps there are more people who are eligible for Medicare and make use of that. So it it seems that the elderly have households that recover reasonably well. It also seems that the households that had debts before there was an illness have debts after they have an illness. There's another study that was done by Himmelstein and his colleagues, and that indicates that a large proportion of families who have to file for bankruptcy in the United States file for bankruptcy as a result or in part because of medical bills. So it seems that households that are on the edge already can be tipped over very easily by an illness. And that stands to reason. You know, do you think that this mortgage bubble that supposedly is shaking the economic world right now will contribute to this type of economic loss that families go through? If the picture is correct that any kind of economic fragility is exacerbated by an illness in the household, then yes, the the more fragile the economic base, the more likely a blow from illness is to lead to a second blow of further economic devastation. Many of these people, at least a half who go through bankruptcy, have health insurance to begin with. Is it because they lose their health insurance during the illness? Is it because they lose their jobs and therefore they lose their health insurance or that their insurance policy isn't adequate? It doesn't seem to make sense when everyone wants health insurance and a universal health plan that even those with insurance will go through this. The original data that we started talking about with 40% of households going into poverty with a serious and terminal illness, 75% of those people had health insurance as well. So it is a very striking finding. We do know that health insurance doesn't cover everything. And so I think a much harder look on what happens to those who have health insurance and what kind of health insurance really is warranted. And that's a matter of responsibility, I think, for the medical profession, as well as responsibility of the medical profession to advocate for our political leaders to make sure that society has a, has a good handle on this, because this is a matter of societal well-being as well as health care. Do you think that what disease affects the family makes a difference? Malaria, TB, AIDS being infectious disease that certainly fills the media, as opposed to the chronic diseases? 
Yeah, the study looked at what happened to household economic circumstances depending on whether the patient in the family who was ill had malaria or TB or HIV AIDS. And it seems that with malaria, about 10% of the household income goes to the care of that patient. And uh, with TB, it's about 50%. And with HIV AIDS, it's 100% or more of the household income. And uh, that the tipping point seems to be somewhere between the malaria situation and the TB situation. I want to thank Dr. Linda Emanuel for being our guest today. We've been discussing economic devastation in a family that has to deal with a terminal illness. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.